So I'm now recording. Are you recording? Yeah. Hi, I'm Fee, and I'm doing a podcast with Owen. Say hi, Owen. What are you saying? Yeah, that, that's right. Owen. And we're, we're, we're going to do a podcast series about law. Uh, we both pretty like law. Um, is that accurate to say? Both really like law. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think pretty doesn't do it justice. Yeah, law is law is justice. Good, incredible, incredible. This is the intellectual level of humour that you'll receive on this podcast. Um, Owen Owen wants to pursue contract law as a solicitor. I'm hoping to pursue constitutional administrative law as a barrister. If you have no idea what any of those words mean, do not worry. We will discuss them at some point during this series of podcasts. Um. So today we're going to have a little bit of a chat about what law is, just at its most basic level. Um, Owen, have you got any ideas as to how would you describe law? Um, I would describe law as protecting the vulnerable from the strong. In a, uh, it's a method of doing so. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good description, I'd say. Um, but as we both know, law has lots of layers to it and so i think at its core one of the things that we can talk about law in terms of is rules would, would you agree with that law is rules yeah also adding back to what you just said just a second ago going back through history a lot of like the notable bits of law is um using their positions of power very wisely to then nub other people's positions of power who are abusing it like john with uh, the magna carta and uh Charles the Charles the first or the second? Oh, I'm literally well, taking Ch- him. Well, Ch- Charles the first is the one that Oliver Cromwell overthrew. So yeah, okay. So Charles yeah, the Charles, first. Charles Charles the first with um the Petition of Rights and the Grand Remonstrance. Hmm. That was his Parliament limiting his power. Yeah. So one of one of the we'll, we'll do this part now then because you brought that up and that's a really good point mm. law falls into different categories so there's two like umbrella categories of law public law and private law so under public law you'll find things like criminal law and constitutional administrative law now criminal law is a, when you commit an offense and it's considered that you haven't just hurt one person but your action is so so bad you you've hurt all of society with that action and so that that's holding the that's holding your ordinary citizen to account for terrible actions against a community. Um, like if I punch you, Owen, that that's not just hurting right. you. That that's bad for our whole community. That doesn't promote what our society that's is about. Precedent. Yeah. And but then constitutional administrative law, which is the other form of public law, is that stuff around the Magna Carta and Charles I that you were talking about, it's holding the government to account. So constitutional administrative law is law that governs how the government has to work and operate to make sure that they have to follow the law too. Um, Americans love their limiting their government. Uh, Americans do love limiting their government. Um, something interesting, considering this is an English law podcast, uh, we don't actually have a constitution in the UK. We'll talk about that in later episodes, but obviously you hear a lot about the US constitution and I have been talking to people before and they're like, how come I don't ever hear about the UK constitution? Well, that's because we don't have one, but we'll get onto that another time. So criminal law and constitutional administrative law are both considered areas of public law because the decisions in them affect all of society. If it's a decision against the government, well, the government rules all of society, so it affects everyone. And criminal law, as I've said, are actions against the community. Then you have private law. So under that, you have family law and civil law. Um, how, how would you describe civil law in contrast to criminal law, Owen? So criminal law, uh, I am, I, like you said, it is an action that harms the fabric of society. Whereas civil law is a, um, I would describe it as a dispute between two citizens that doesn't affect anyone if it happens or doesn't happen apart from the two people involved in it yeah i think that's you know what i mean that's a pretty perfect explanation i'd say um the example i always like to give is if if we had a contract between us owen that i could never walk yeah. within three meters of you and then i did mm-hmm. the only people hurt not like a uh, like a uh, not a court a, uh, ordered restraining order, order just yeah. a contract between me and you said i can't come within right. three meters of you and we both signed it to it you know private contract no courts involved and i broke that well it's only me and you that mm-hmm. have been upset by that 
But if I yeah. punch you, well, that's like that's just not how we do things in our society. So that that that's criminal law. Yeah. And so civil law is private because it's between is an area of private law because it's between two individuals, whereas criminal law is public because it's between the whole of the society, our community, and an individual. Um, the other area of yeah. private law that I did quickly mention was family law. Um, do you want to take a punt at describing family law, Owen? Yeah, so with um, in a situation involving children, you need to be very careful. And so that's why in the UK, we've put the family division of in the high court. Because yeah. divorces, uh, custody, all that stuff, when you're affecting, when you're dealing with like impressionable kids, you you could be fucking up a life. You you could be. Yeah. They're impressionable. You, like you don't know. Yeah. So I'll add I'll add a ca- couple. You know, of... you can't you can't predict how they're going to react to anything you give them. No. So I'll add a couple of caveats there. Um, it did used to be that all family matters were dealt with in the high court, uh, the family division. Um, but in 2013, there was the Crime and Courts Act passed, which did commit, uh, which did create like a lower family court to deal with normally cases where there aren't any kids, as you said. So it's not quite as yeah. serious where it's just it's a divorce between a couple and for sorting out financial things. So we have that lower family court now. But if things are complicated or particularly high value or very lawy, um, that's not a technical term, but one that I'll use, um, it will go up to the high court. Or for cases with kids, it's more likely to start in the high court. It should also be noted, something that people don't realise family courts deal with is medical things. So if... So... um, if you've got someone, there was a case a couple of years ago that ended up at the Supreme Court where a family said, we want to, this person is effectively brain dead, but they have to be kept alive because the doctors can't can't um, take them off life support because otherwise that's technically euthanasia and they could get in trouble. And, the, and, that, and they wanted to take them off life support. And that case actually went to the family court as well so those decisions over medical things and other fat and your rights within the rights of your family members to decide on medical stuff does also go through the family court system okay so if i'm a vegetable in a hospital bed and like is the responsibility is it the responsibility of my closest relatives or and or spouse to uh decide what happens to me it would be on whoever is your next of kin. Right. So next of kin uh, could be spouse. If you don't have a spouse, it will sometimes go to the... Normally you'll specify it, but there are a set of complex legal rules for determining who next of kin is. So as I was saying, uh, if you're married, it will normally be your partner. If you don't have a partner, it will normally go to your parents. If your parents aren't alive, it will normally go to your children. Um, that's... Yeah, and ne- next of kin comes up in a lot of things, and we will discuss that as we as we do further episodes. Um, so th- th- they're the two main categories of law. There's public law, which is your criminal law and your constitutional and administrative law. So that's acts against all of society that are deemed, you know, horrible or holding the government to account. And then you have private law, which is your family law, which is disputes between individuals within a family and disputes between two individuals in civil law like over contract or various other things um so to what i was saying a while ago would you say the law is effectively a set of rules i i would but in the uk especially it's a flexible set of rules they change all the time it's a flexible set of rules yeah so we have loads of rules in our society and they're all kind of contextual so there's some rules that you only sign on to play by when you do certain things so if you go to a football match you know to play in a football match if you if you go to play football sorry it was terrible wording in Mm -hmm. that but we got there if you go to play in a football match you sign on to follow the rules of the football game don't you yeah yeah or more, more accurate for your interest, if you if you do a boxing, if if you go into a boxing ring to I fight with someone, I cannot sue a guy for punching me in the face because <laughs> no, I because sign. you're you're signing on to that set of rules. Likewise, you consent 
to the judge having the final say. Yeah. That's that's part of the game. You're playing mm. the game. But those are rules that you can sign on to or not sign on to. Laws are rules that affect all of us, but there's a situations where the law, law will only affect us in certain situations. So contract law only affects me if I'm in a contract with someone, but I can't get out of those laws if I'm in a contract with someone. If I'm in a contract with someone, I have to follow those contract laws. Uh, if I marry someone, I agree to follow the family laws. But those public law areas that we've already discussed, criminal law and constitutional administrative law, you need no, you have no choice. You have to follow those areas of law. Um, yeah. Yeah. See. So you've got the idea around rules and rules that you join into and rules that you have to play by regardless. So if I if I marry someone and I break a family law, is it likely that I get sued for it? You can't get sued for it, but th there is some crossover. So, for example, do you know what bigamy is? Sorry, you cut out there, mate. Ah, uh, sorry. Do you know what bigamy is? Bigamy, I do not. So, bigamy is if you marry someone else while you're already married. Okay, so like what the Mormons like, and that, that's why they moved to Mexico. Uh, yeah, sure um yeah and if if you marry someone while you're already married that is a criminal offense so not only have you is broken it? family law uh, that is also a criminal law so being a mormon is illegal uh not being a mormon but if you were to be a mormon, a, a a mormon bigamy then yes that's a crime in this country so in islam you're allowed uh, four wives so if I'm uh, just... there's some there's some disputes there um, over the interpretation of scripture and it's generally accepted that that's not necessarily a Muslim based thing but more of a culturally based thing like oh, right. we are technically a Christian country but there are things we do that like we have gay marriage and a lot of Christians would argue that that's not that means that we're not a Christian country so there are things that Muslim countries do that aren't necessarily Muslim. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. uh, um, I don't know. Would it, would, would you call it a cultural thing in, um, I'm just looking at the map. Uh, I'm going to go with, um, uh, I'm going to go with Syria or Iraq. One of the two. Uh, the place where they uh, stoned, like, some gay, gay, gay people to death. Uh, Brunei, Saudi Arabia, that yeah, kind of right, places. Yeah. I would go as far. I would I would be more inclined to call that a cultural thing yeah. than a religious thing because actually Sharia law that a lot of people like to cite was never Muhammad nor any other prophets ever spouted Sharia law. It was a bunch of Middle Eastern scholars that got together and wrote Sharia law and said this is the law of Muslims. But again... And that's Tommy Robinson going on. Tommy Robinson going on about Sharia law than more than actual Muslims. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 what I like to call the Tommy Robinson version of Islam, which is just all of the bad bits and ignoring the good bits, like giving money to charity every year and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's um so disgusting teeth, homeless, but going to blame it on some immigrants version of it yeah uh, yeah yeah that that is a mentality that has been emerging they're in... taking our jobs and they're not even working yeah i know what well, <laughs> i i was like the one in the u.s where it's like uh all the mexicans are drug dealers but they're they're and taking drinkers, our jobs so if so <laughs> like if if they're drug dealers who are taking your job what kind of job did you have mate um i should point out though that Owen and I are both incredibly liberal people and do believe in like legalization of all drugs and a whole host of other very liberal ideals, just so that you know where we stand on the political spectrum. Yeah, so if I say anything if I say anything racist, sexist, homophobic, please don't hold me to account and don't actually believe that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah um <laughs> there, there, there is some there is something to be noted in, in the fact that we I think we're both fairly like libertarian, so free market and free society kind of ideals 
Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we've we've spoken about the two kind of umbrella categories of law: public law, private law. We've spoken about the idea of how private law, uh, you kind of have to sign up to something to be affected by those rules, and there are some exceptions to that. But on the whole, with private law, like when you go onto a football pitch or into a boxing ring, you sign up to those rules. Public law, you're always going to follow, no matter what you do for as long as you're in this country you follow public law and we've spoken about the idea that law is a list of kind of flexible rules while we're so on one of the topics i'm sorry yeah. to interrupt no also, no go for it when you're signing it right so let's say you're always professionally because in the amateurs it doesn't really happen but if you're signing to a combat sport you also have to agree to any drug testing regulations that your country's law sets out or in the, yes, in the US, so that's they, part of contract, effectively. Yeah, in the US, they do it by um, state athletic commissions. And each state, right, okay. obviously because there's state law and federal law, and uh, mm. their athletic commissions are done through state state law. And I, I, I'm not sure how relevant this is, but I'm going to go for it. Anyway, I'm going to bring up the case where Yoel Romero, who's a MMA fighter in the UFC, he, in New Jersey, got... Um, flagged up for an illegal substance in a blood test by the United States drug, uh, USADA, the United States Anti-Drug Agency, right? Yeah. And um, he, his defense was, what the fuck, I've never taken any of this stuff. I mean, if you look at a photo of him, he's, he, he looks like he has, but I believe him that he hasn't. And he said, I took a tainted supplement. So what these companies do, these uh, supplement companies, they don't clue on to how accurate drug testing is nowadays. Literally, uh, I'm going to give you an example of how um, te- how accurate this stuff is. John Jones, another fighter, got caught for one picogram of um, uh, Turinabol. So right. a, picobol, a picogram is, I want to correct me if I'm wrong, but it is, I believe it's a millionth of an anagram or something like that. So a millionth of an anagram? Nanogram. Yeah, I, I thought you said anagram. <laughs> I'm like, the, the literal quarks of Turinabol. <laughs> no, as, as, um, so these companies they're not do, making them in clean environments they're like in China where they're making creatine and all that stuff they've also got like Turinabol and they're trying to yeah so dirty factories and all that stuff but importantly the substance that UL was flagged for was not listed on the back of the packet so he took that company to court and he sued them for 27 million dollars for four years of earnings that he missed out of due to a suspension from USADA. Right, right. That's fascinating. No, that that is, and we'll discuss that. I'll just apply some law to that quickly. See, you've got lots of different things interacting there. So you have some constitutional and administrative law in there, which is those government agencies setting the rules for athletes, and you have those government agencies also setting the rules for listing on packets what's in a drug. So you've got you've got your constitutional and administrative law because the government agencies are doing those things. Then you have your your civil law because he has signed a contract to say that he's going to be held to those rules so that is just civil law because it is between it doesn't have to be but when we say individuals in law we mean you basically have two types of people in law you have the state which is the government and you have individuals and individuals can be whole companies or they can literally be an individual and so you've got a contract between him and individuals you've also got some commerce law in there which comes under civil law the idea that when he has bought that product he has been correctly informed on what's in it that's also civil law and you you could even go as far as to say that there's some criminal law in the provision of those tainted substances i'm not 100 percent clear on u.s food regulatory law technically all these substances are technically legal substances he's just not it's like in the state of California, marijuana is legal, but Nick yeah. Diaz got a five-year suspension for turning up to a fight with a cannabis in his system. Oh, okay. So what we've basically got at work here is your constitutional administrative law in the form of the government agencies who are enforcing this and testing this, and you have your civil law in that he has signed up to be tested by those agencies, and civil law in the fact that he has he has made when he bought that product, he made a company with that contract with that he made a contract with that company sorry to say whatever's on this packet is what you're providing me and it wasn't true so that is that is really interesting and i suppose that leads us on to uh, my next point which is about the idea of justice justice is normally 
the idea is that justice is the point of law. Would you would you agree with I, that? I, I would, law yes. should provide justice. Yeah, it's the, it's the end and, game for all for every part of law. Yeah, and there there there's a quote by a judge whose name I can't remember, and I'm actually <laughs> going to see if I can find because I've got a law. <laughs> Must be a really good me. judge. <laughs> um, no, it was actually really quite interesting because this guy said. Um, uh, um, just getting it up here. Ah, here we go. Um, so this is Lord Wright, who was a judge in the House of Lords. For yeah. those of you who don't know, um, until 2009, the UK did not have a Supreme Court. The Supreme Court was the House of Lords, effectively. 2009, it was moved to be the Supreme Court we know I actually today. didn't know that. Ah, no, well, there you go, you've learned that, something. That means Colombia had a Supreme Court before we did. Yes, it does. Yeah, they did. Um, uh, okay, I'll, so I'll this guy said... <laughs> cool, cool. Um, this guy said, The guiding principle of a judge in deciding cases is to do justice. That is justice according to the law, but still justice. And I think what's interesting there is he specifically makes it clear that law doesn't necessarily reflect justice. So I'm going to tell you about a case now. It's quite a famous one. It's called LNER, as in the London and Northeast Railway Co. v. Berriman, and it's in 1946. And I'm going to tell you about this case, and then we'll have a little bit of a discussion about the yeah. idea of justice. Okay, um, you will have heard this case before, Owen, but yeah, some yeah. of the people listening may not. Um, a railway worker was killed whilst oiling the track. So he went out and he oiled a track and there was no lookout man provided. And the law stated that if someone was relaying or repairing a track, a lookout man had to be provided. So he was employed by Ellen Arco and they had not provided him a lookout man. And he he got run over by train while he was oiling the track. And his widow took LNER to court and said, you did not provide a lookout man, despite the law saying if my husband or anybody else is relaying or repairing a track, there must be a lookout man. And the court read the law and they said, well, oiling isn't relaying or repairing. And the case was struck down and she received no compensation at all. And that was held on appeal because the law said no re only for relaying or repairing and oiling is not relaying or repairing so she didn't she didn't win her case is that justice in your opinion uh, in my opinion no but uh that's an example where i mean obviously it happened in 1946 it hasn't happened since then so or or much before that i'm guessing because if the 1946 example is the one we're going for. If um, I'm guessing most of the people going onto the tracks are repairers or relayers, it would to me it would make sense for them to not really think about if someone's instead of walking out with a spanner, walking out with an oil can. But I think it's extremely scummy them using that as a defence. They should have just settled out of court and given her the money anyway. Agreed that the logical thing to do for their image would have certainly been to settle out of court, a, 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 a concept that we will discuss in later episodes. But they didn't. And I think what's interesting here is that the law has to do justice. And that means justice to both parties. And sometimes yeah. when people read justice, they think that the under that means the underdog pulling through. But actually, in this company, in this situation, sorry, you have this, you know, what you imagine to be this little old widow, her husband tragically killed while just doing his job. And then you have this big, massive train company. I mean, everyone in the UK has heard of L&ER. They're, they're, they're a modern train company. They've been around forever. I mean, you've heard of L&ER, haven't you, Owen? I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A massive train company. And they're like, you know, we're not giving you any money. But one of, one of the important things to remember is that the law has to be predictable to a certain extent and you can't expect people to be held to a standard that was not set before they did the action so this is what uh, Owen and I were having this conversation on Friday if if I if there was no law for murder and I went and murdered someone 
And then after I'd committed that offence, Parliament went, oh, we, we should probably make that illegal. So they made murder illegal then. And then what you found was I was arrested because that wouldn't actually be legal because I didn't commit. I committed the offence before the standard was set. And the thing is about this situation is the railway company, you could say they should have given a lookout man, but that standard wasn't set. So to hold them to a standard that they were not aware of would also not be justice. Hmm. Still, I mean, I think, I think it's also part of the, the whether the Mr. Berriman's fault. He should have got his uh, mate to be like, "Can you just watch for me, please? I'm just going to go squirt some oil in these tracks." If he, if he yeah. just knowingly walked onto those tracks, knowing that no one was watching over him, what does he expect is going to happen? I know that sounds I kind mean, of. I don't. I, I don't think he. I'll be honest. I don't know much about the Berriman family dynamic, but I, I doubt that he was like. I'm just going to go and oil these tracks. He wasn't like volunteering in the community. I expect it was a supervisor that told him, you know, can you go oil these tracks, please? Um, Right. And the other thing, the other case that often gets brought up around justice is, have you heard about the McDonald's uh, coffee case? Haven't. Okay. Um, In the, we're we're going across the ocean now, but it's the same kind of idea. So we're going to the US. Uh, old woman bought coffee from mcdonald's um it was hot she spilled it on her lap uh took them to court sued them won millions and millions um have you heard about it i have yeah i mean uh, it rings a bell i don't know if this is the specific one would you say that's fair that for her spilling hot coffee on her lap she won millions and millions this is where I think this court, this case is deeper than it appears because in the UK, I would say, no, that is not fair. But in the US, where she's got to pay for her health care, she's got to pay for any salve on her burns, or she's got to pay for a skin graft, couldn't cost her tens of thousands of dollars. I'd say, yes, that is fair. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things to note is that actually after that case, McDonald's paid an awful lot of money to some very good companies to make it seem like she was just money grabbing and that actually she wasn't hurt very much and in reality she had life-changing burns um you know really serious burns and she won she had to spend hundreds of thousands in healthcare costs and mcdonald's have actually paid out very little of the amount she won they they are stalling massively in paying out and they then paid a lot of money to make it seem like the case wasn't justice. To make it seem right. like, you know, she'd bought coffee, it was hot. Oh, everyone knows the coffee's going to be hot. She's an idiot. But in reality, that coffee, I can't remember the temperature. Um, I'm going to actually look it up. I mean, if it's more than 100 degrees, then it would be floating out of the top of the cup. It wouldn't be in a cup anymore. it would just be powder at the bottom. What did you get in your physics GCSE? Five. All right, um, I'm I'm looking for the exact temperature of the coffee. Okay, so due to her skin grafting, she lost thirty. She lost nine point one kilograms of weight in burns. Oh, so this is like just pure nine point one kilograms worth of skin they had to hack off and replace. Yeah. That's mental. And it from was one cup 88. Of yeah, it was 88 degrees centigrade, which is much hotter than the coffee needed to be, it was found. So the jury awarded 160000 in direct damages to, de- to cover medical expenses. And then do you, know that, do you know what punitive damages are? No. So punitive damages are... So you get your compensation, which is I need that money to directly pay me back for what you did to me. And then punitive is like, and as a punishment, we'll take this much more money from you as well. Oh, okay. So if you punched me and it meant I was out of work for five days, my compensatory damages would be lost earnings. But then my punitive damages might be an extra thousand pounds because... I shouldn't, shouldn't have be done doing that. 
yeah, don't go around punching people. Hmm. Um, so, 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 jury so it's a fine. Yeah, it's it's like a fine, but instead of the fine going to the government, it goes to the victim because this right. is a civil case. So, th- the idea of justice is subjective and has to be fair to all parties. Is the point I'm trying to make. Okay. All right. Th- there's one final bit. I- I- I'll sum up what we've spoken about so far. So we we've spoken about the idea of private law public law, criminal law, constitutional administrative law, family law, civil law. We've spoken about how some cases have a mixture of them, like the doping one that you brought up from the US. We've spoken about the railway worker case and how is that justice. We've spoken about the McDonald's hot coffee case, is that justice. And to to round off, I, I wanna bring up I wanna bring up something called equity. I've got one more case I want to bring up before we go as well. Ah, no, bring up the case now. Let's hear All right. it. So, going back to what we said at the very start of the case, I, the podcast, I just sort of forgot about it. Um, so, in, a, ooh, I want to say, six early 1630s, uh, Thomas Wentworth, he's the uh, Council of the North, and he's doing a meeting of the Council of the North. And there is a man called Henry Bellasis, and he is in this council. So, Wentworth, he arrives with his... Uh, royal advisor holding his mace, signalling that he is a um, a uh, get the word for it, but a guy who works for the crown and should be treated with the same respect as one would treat the king. And, yeah, because uh, the, the mace the mace is used throughout the UK to symbolise the the monarch. So in yeah. the House of Commons, when they're having a debate, the debate is only formal. If the mace is on the table, the mace is representative of the monarch in the UK. Sorry, I just wanted to point that out. So it's it's important to mention at this time they had obviously they had Parliament which dealt with uh, all law like ordinary law. They also had prerogative courts. Now prerogative courts were courts that uh, you dealt with religious crimes. So oh, okay, this is interesting. So shit like uh, fucking in this specific church, uh, your altar was in the wrong place. That goes against the uh, canons of a uh, so a canon is a re- is a uh, religious law. So yeah, people these 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 cunts were fucking arguing about the the location of a table in my church. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I, 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 it makes me angry thinking about it. Oh, and also they're no, arguing, no, no, I, they're I, arguing, I see that. I see that they're arguing about the 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 vestments of their priests. So uh, the Church of England, run by William Lord, wanted uh, flashy vests vestments because um jesus priests were uh supposed to be the center of a church but the protestants and, and the parliament and puritans they wanted their priests to be the same what fuck makes the priest different to me he's just a bloke who happens to run this church anyway that's not yeah fucking anything no to no, no that, that that's an interesting religious ideology and it does come up you know some churches think that their priest or vicar or whatever are directly closer to god and other just believe that they're just the leader in that circumstance it's an interesting thing like in greek orthodox churches and roman uh, and russian orthodox churches there's a whole separate area where only the 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 priest is allowed to go because that's his space to be closer to god whereas in methodist churches it's not uncommon for just the congregation to rotate with who runs the church yeah anyway so this guy, Henry Bellasis, he, uh, look, sorry, went, went, went with Council of the North, Royal Advisor comes in, and everyone but Henry Bellasis takes off their hat in a sign of respect. So Wentworth takes him to a prerogative court. Now, it's important to mention a prerogative court doesn't have a jury. It doesn't have a judge. It has a, uh, a, an advisor from the king and the uh, guy doing the prosecuting, which in this case was... Uh, Thomas Wentworth. So it's literally a room with Bellasis, uh, Royal Advisor, a scribe, and Wentworth. He has no defensive lawyer, he has nothing like that. And um, the prerogative court gives um, tells uh, gives hen- sentences Henry to a, um, to a month in Newgate prison, despite the fact that he had a sound defence in that he was not aware of Thomas's entry because he was talking to someone. He was facing the other direction. How would he know? Yeah. But yeah, so justice, the, the law has not always been about justice. The law has not always been about empowering people. 
That's a fairly yeah, new and, ideology. Yeah, and actually that perfectly leads on to the final thing I wanted to discuss today, which is a phrase that pretty much everyone will have heard, which is pre- uh, innocent until proven guilty. Have you heard that? Yes. Okay. Um, that's not actually the full phrase, to be clear. It's presumed innocent until proven guilty. And it's about the standard of proof, which is something that was brought around by a, a, a judge named William Blackstone, who is very famous in the UK. There is a painting of him that hangs in the US Senate and in the US Supreme Court. He is worldwide famous. And in the 1760s, he published this idea that is now known as Blackstone's Ratio, which mm-hmm. is better 10 guilty men be released than one innocent man be imprisoned. And that's where the idea of innocent until proven guilty comes from. Now, right. what's interesting is that the standard of proof changes depending on where you are so in a criminal court it has to be beyond reasonable doubt so that means you can't have any doubts that are reasonable uh, just to completely rephrase it um so if your doubt is that yeah but ghosts might have done it that's not a reasonable doubt but if your doubt is yeah but the police might have stitched him up that's reasonable doubt and you must find oh, yeah. that person how, how, do you, how do you so how do you in a criminal case how do you find someone how do if i get stitched up to something by someone else if i get set up so if um someone commits a murder in an area that i was at this time of night that i was and then someone takes that bloody handkerchief and puts it in my car and i have no idea about it and i genuinely didn't do it how can i get justice well, we will do a whole episode at right. some point if you want on miscarriages of justice, and we can because we we don't we don't really have time to discuss because that is a massive thing to unpack the idea of mm. miscarriages of justice and proving that. And we will do a whole episode on the powers of the police and their mistakes and the good things that they do as well. Um, I mean, neither neither of us are overly pro police, <laughs> are we? Like no. we 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 both think. I I have I have doubts around the around the police force. I think on the whole they're they're good people that are quite brave, but I think there's some institutional issues with it and some cultural issues around it. But we will talk about that stuff at some point. But the the, the point is is that in criminal cases it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt, but in civil cases it only has to be on the balance of probability. So it only has to be that it is more likely that it happened than it didn't. So, so justice is still, shit. yeah, yeah. So justice is still, still quite subjective, and it depends on the kind of case and on the severity of the consequences. It's not so much that our current justice system bases decisions off what is, what the case is about, but off the possible consequences of it. In criminal law the possible the worst possible consequence is the loss of your freedom whereas in in civil law the worst possible consequence is you have to pay some money granted it might be a lot of money but you're not going to lose your freedom over it so there is a lot of there are still discussions around justice and how justice changes depending on those types of law that we've discussed Mm. so yeah all right, should we move on to the very final part of yeah, the yeah. podcast? Right. Uh, which is looking at some law news of the week. All right, so I'm going to... Um, okay, here's, here's the first one. I want to tell you about Helen McCourt, um, which is such an apt name for someone who's going to be on a law podcast. No. Um, uh, but this is actually quite a sad story. So Helen McCourt um, was murdered um unlucky so yeah probably slightly more than unlucky helen mccourt was murdered um and he she was murdered by a man named ian sims and ian sims has he's a bloke called ian of course there's a bloke called ian all blokes called ians are romans (laughs) sorry to any ians that are listening um so he, he was imprisoned in 1988 and basically a parole board has let him out 
and the mother tried to appeal that decision and say can we not let him out please uh because one of the big things about this case is that he's never expressed any kind of form of remorse he's never he's admitted but he's never he's never apologized in any way and well i mean that's a bit of an awkward situation you kill someone and he says oh i'm sorry about that to their family yeah yeah. i'd probably i'd say they'd probably rather i didn't yeah it's weird isn't it and i think it's one of those things you won't ever know until well if you unfortunately ever end up in that situation but there there is the thing of do, do you think that's fair that the parole board have decided to release him that's a long time so that's think... his minimum sentence was 16 years okay so he's done double so his he... minimum sentence I, i'd say fair enough to be honest yeah i i think again you've got to take what we're saying in in this section of the podcast especially when we're discussing the news you've got to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt because we both have similar political ideologies as we discussed earlier on but i i he's not a mass murderer um i do want to read into why he killed her quickly Hmm. Um, yeah that that probably would have been important before i said yeah fuck it let him out yeah yeah if it's like this uh he was trying to embezzle millions of dollars from the charity she worked for therefore he killed her so he could Mm, maybe 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 yeah, keep, maybe keep yeah and it was like a children's a charity or something yeah. okay so she was an insurance clerk from lancashire now merseyside uh she got off a bus her body has never been found so actually th- this is kind of a bit of a horrific killing actually this wasn't a in the moment fight type thing this was a this was like a kidnap and kill never found the body kind of situation so and with having said that the 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 parole board has said that they've seen a considerable change in his behavior and he hasn't been involved in violence or drug misuse during his time in prison and he will he will be supervised for the rest of his life let's be clear here a life sentence even if you're released early that means you're out of prison early you will still have many restrictions on your life so i i don't know i have mixed feelings here i both feel like possibly possibly it's fair that he's been released because he seems to have certainly changed his behavior while in prison 32 years in prison is nothing nothing to be scoffed at however however i'd just like to add to that you mentioned her body's never been found if she was raped and murdered and they can't prove that she was raped because her body's never been found they can't do any like dna testing or anything i don't think you should be let out, let out yeah that 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 does change things slightly um let me have a look see if they have any evidence on that uh, okay, hear, hear this, hear this. Okay, let me read you the whole case, because this is actually, this is this has gotten deeper. Um, so Helen McCourt spoke with her mother, Marie, by telephone at about 4pm on February the 9th, 1988. Shortly before she was due to leave work, she was planning to go out for the evening with her new boyfriend and wanted her tea ready earlier so she had time to wash her hair. Two days before her disappearance, Helen had been involved in a heated argument with a woman in the pu- in a pub. And the landlord was Ian Sims, aged 31 and married with two small children. After the argument, Sims banned Helen from the pub and used obscene language about how much he hated her. He also made sexual advances to Helen, which she had rejected and believed that Helen believed Helen knew about his affair with a 21-year-old mistress. And then there was the disappearance when she was getting onto the bus and she was killed. So actually, that's I. That's kind of changed my opinion on things. You think? Yeah, that he he the idea that he he because that that suggests more planning than yeah, just like uh, an yeah. opportunistic thing. Well, so you, you reckon he killed her just so that his wife never finds out he's been fucking some intern? Yeah. Wow deep I, I think that has changed my opinion as well i think 
yeah, I think that's a bit. And the fact that he also made sexual advances to her. All right, so on to our next one, which is a case that pretty much everyone has heard about, but I did want to shed some light on quickly. And that's uh, Carlos Gossen. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his surname properly. I'm really sorry. I've probably butchered that. I, I spell it. Uh, G-H-O-S-N. Um, and he's he's the um, he's the former Nissan boss that ran away from Japan. Have you heard about this guy? I, ha- I haven't, no. All right, you just never watch the news then um so this guy this guy was uh, gonna be on trial in japan he was arrested last year um there were allegations of him under under reporting his income misusing company funds and he was held in solitary confinement and then allowed out on house arrest pending a trial and he's he's escaped japan basically and said i'm not doing this and he's run away to lebanon which is I think that's where he's from. Yeah, he so he's from Lebanon and he's married to Carol Nahas who I think is also from Lebanon, but she might not be. But anyway, the point of the case is is he was a he was accused of these things and he's fledged Japanese justice system. Um and I think one of the things to bear in mind is a lot of people have said, you know, this is so unfair. He's run away from a justice system. And people think of Japan is definitely a very developed country. But I agree with his decision to run away because Japan's justice system is really messed up. They have more than a 99% conviction rate, a strong track record of leaving people in solitary confinement until they confess. And because of a a culture, it is genuinely a cultural thing of when a jury sees a person of authority has brought someone and said that this person is guilty, a jury is very likely to believe that person. And the conviction rates are massive. So the chances of this guy getting a fair trial, I think, are very, very low. And I think I, I don't think Japan's justice system is fair. And I think he probably would have been found guilty and then mistreated. So, uh, yeah, that, there's a bit of an update on that one. Um, yeah, that's a sticky one. I mean, I think it's punishment en- enough to live out the rest of your life in Lebanon. Whoa! Anything race, <laughs> anything racist, sexist, or homophobic we say, I, we don't believe. We're both very liberal. Yeah, but but I mean, I, actually, I don't, I don't know how water on lebanon it's, is it's, it's near that region yeah but it's, it's still right it's not it's not a shithole no not in any way um okay moving on to the next thing uh i'll be honest the legal news has been a bit slower over the last couple of the weeks because courts have only just returned um so the next one i have is harvey weinstein everyone's favorite let's go Come Ho- on. hollywood mogul God, what a... <laughs> I don't know how to describe this man, but obviously he is about to start a criminal trial in New York. Uh, let's hear from Owen. What, um, what, what are you thinking? What are you so, saying? I don't know much about this case, in all honesty. Good start, I... good start. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when it sort of happened, I just sort of chucked it up to um, uh, people in American media seeing a big, big, powerful guy getting his shit rocked and thought, let's capitalise. I didn't know how serious it was until very recently. Call me ignorant. Yeah. I I um, don't know. I'm going to call you ignorant. (laughs) Yeah. This trial, let's be clear, this trial isn't for sexual harassment. This trial is for rape and sexual assault. To so I didn't ver- know he actually raped someone. Well, I allegedly. He, he his power to, for sexual favours. Yeah, and the thing is, is that there's some terrible things that he did that aren't criminal, um, as much as they probably should be. But the, the thing is, is he's going on trial for rape and sexual assault. And... I think probably once the trial is over, we might do a bit of a special episode at looking back at how it went. Um, and, but, yeah, uh, it will be interesting to see develop. 
And then the final piece of legal news that I'm going to bring up for today's episode is the appeal, um, well, not necessarily the appeal, let's go to the original case, the Cyprus rape claim case. Um, This is the British teenager allegedly gang raped in Cyprus um, that has been convicted and given a conditional discharge of lying about this rape um, for public mischief was the crime and she's looking to appeal it so she got a conditional discharge um, which basically means as long as she doesn't commit any more crimes she's okay but interesting case because she's still claiming that it didn't happen she's claiming that it did happen sorry that the authorities are forcing her to take back her statement so what do you think owen if she did lie about it i would 100 percent agree with what the court said however it is interesting that she has mentioned that she's been forced to lie about it because we know for a fact that the police has done this before, forcing people to lie in uh, interviews and interrogate. I don't know what they're called. Like where police interviews where they're like, all right, sign here or I'm not letting you go or sign here or I'm giving you a smack or some bollocks, you know? So and making forcing people to confess. They, I, I think it's quite likely that the state has... With all their media connections, the state has gone out on record and said, <clears throat> uh, highly likely that the state has could have forced her into, tried at least to force her into um, uh, saying that she lied. All right. Well, uh, inter- interesting case to look out for. Um, and I'll be interested to see the appeal. And we, we will, we will, yeah. All right, so that brings us to the end of the very first episode of our podcast about law. Um, it hasn't been the cleanest podcast, I know. Uh, I didn't mean in language. It was never going to be clean in terms of language. But I mean, it. there will have been mistakes made here. There will have been things that we got wrong. So we will start every episode from now on with the corrections from the last episode. Um and also, this is our first ever episode. It's, our, it's the first time I've ever do, done a podcast. I presume it's the Same first man. time you've ever done a podcast. Yeah. So if we've messed up massively, not in terms of what we said, because I think we've been pretty much okay, but if like we've got this format wrong or something, stick with us is all I'm asking. If you didn't like this episode, it doesn't mean you won't like future ones. But yeah, thanks so much for listening. And I've been Fee. I've been Owen. And thank you very much.